0: Let's pray again. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, may we believe that greater things are yet to be done in this city, uh, in this church. Uh, we live in, in a world that uh, is very uncertain. Uh, we're reminded of that as we, uh, we see things in our, our city, our, our country, and the world. Um, there, is, uh, there are things that uh, give us pause, uh, things that give us great concern. Let us not lose our faith uh, if we have it that you are Lord over all creation and you are also Lord over uh, this city. And if we do not have that faith, I pray that uh, people here would take a step to that faith today and that you would instill that faith in their hearts by your Holy Spirit. Uh, Greater things are uh, to be done. Uh, Your word tells us, uh, I believe, others believe. Uh, that the greatest is is yet to come, the best is yet to come uh, when you return. Uh, We pray for that because uh, we see the the problems and the trouble and the pain. Uh, But let us be your light. Let this church be your light on this corner to this city more and more uh, over the years, over generations, uh, that greater things in the name of Jesus uh, can be done here uh, for this city and for the world. In your name, by your power. Amen. Thank y'all. Y'all have a seat. Uh, this morning, we, uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, I uh, hope you do. If you don't, uh, there should be some in the back. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read the scripture this morning. 2 Corinthians 9, and I'm reading verses 6 through 15. Beginning with verse 6, Paul writes, The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way... Always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also p- provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Uh, we'll be in this passage, uh, really, the, uh, I will highlight one verse over and over again. The key verse is verse 13. I'm going to read it again. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. Uh, Paul is, is writing to a church, church then in Corinth, but really uh, church us today, Uh, about giving, about generous giving, uh, about generosity. And we're using this passage, and we're going to talk a little bit today uh, about uh, money. You know, it's coming up on the end of the year. Uh, We have Christmas, uh, Advent to look forward to, uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, I hope uh, that you are thankful today. Uh, Actually, this passage ties well into being thankful and thanksgiving. And so, we have been talking over the last couple weeks about money, sex, and marriage. And today, we're, we're talking, about, uh, talking about money. And we need to do this. There, there are practical reasons we need to do this, but there are also spiritual reasons that we need to talk about money uh, in the church. Uh, first, I mean, we have a, uh, some of you know this, you may not, we have a deacon meeting today and submitting a, a budget for uh, 2019 and... We'll look over that and talk about that. And so we're thankful for God's provision uh, and your giving and your gifts. Uh, so that's a, that's a practical reason. But at the same time, uh, there are spiritual reasons that we've got to talk about uh, uh, money. I mean, first would be uh, for you or for us. Uh, I know talking to people, uh, some of the chief worries and concerns in people's lives revolve around money. Uh, and not necessarily the lack of it, but how much of it. Uh, and then, you know, sometimes folks don't talk about it. But I, I know that the struggles, and I know the worries. So we can't um, we can't neglect talking about money um, in the church. You know, we uh, we've never really done in this church like campaigns or fundraising, and uh, I've known that people get uh, often pretty nervous. You know, when you talk about money, uh, and I've heard people say, you know, man, that's one of the reasons I like uh, Bellwether is because, you know, you don't do campaigns or or this through the years, and we haven't, but uh, we've got one now, uh, or we've begun one, and we call it Grow Three, and I'd really encourage you to, there have been handouts in the foyer, and we'll keep talking about that. But uh, it is necessary to talk about money, again, because often some of your biggest concerns, and whether spoken or unspoken, revolve around money. And the other thing is that the Bible, particularly the New Testament, is so much about money. Actually, if you, if you read through the Gospel of Luke, it's, it's almost just about like all uh, about money and giving. I mean, you just can't, you can't get around it. You can't deny it. So for, the, for these reasons, both personal and, and biblical, uh, we have to address Uh, money. And and I would say this uh, for all of us, so I'm reminding myself too, it's kind of like, you know, if if we were to go to a doctor, we've got some doctors here, we go to a doctor and we're not feeling well, and so we're like, okay, here's got this physical ailment or this doesn't feel good or something. And then the doctor would say, well, what about, you know, your stress levels? How much are you sleeping? Um, You know, some psychological things. And then if we went like, no, no, I don't, I don't want to deal with that, just like my physical uh, body, uh, the doctor wouldn't be uh, doing a good job if they didn't ask those questions. I say that because uh, we're a whole person, uh, body and soul. I'm going to uh, address that here in a minute, but it's the same way with God. Like, we'll come to God and say, hey, God, I need your forgiveness. I want your forgiveness. I need your strength. I need your power. Uh, I need you, God. And when he wants to deal with us or convict us about money, we'll be like, no, I know this guy. No, 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 not, not that. It's not, that's not right. We have to allow God to deal with us, with our finances, with our money. And I would say this, and, and, and this passage really highlights it, uh, but the Bible, uh, you, there really is no growth without giving. No growth for a person, spiritual. Uh, no growth for a church, Spiritual and practical uh, without giving you, you just can't, you can 't avoid that. I mean to grow in Christ is to give. give of yourself, give of your time, your your talents, your treasure to grow is is to give and so we see this here in this passage, and uh, I really think it uh, it breaks it down in a couple things about uh, why we give, and so I want to address that for us. Uh, today, in that uh, I think it shows three things about our, our giving. Uh, it shows the impact of giving, or really why we give, okay, how it impacts the world. Uh, it shows motivation behind our giving, or what our motivation should be. And then it shows the measure, so how much. So, this passage you really can pick up again the impact. You know, what happens when we give? The motivation, why we should give? And then the measure, how much should we give? So, let's start first with the impact. impact of giving, Paul here is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's actually, he's trying to raise money. There's been a a massive famine in Jerusalem, and so people are starving. And he's saying, you know, actually more so in 2 Corinthians 8, But he's really pleading with them to raise money uh, to minister to the people, to the church in Jerusalem. Now, he's trying to minister them in in two ways, uh, both body and soul. You know, as I said earlier about the doctor, we're, we're two parts. We're body and soul. We're not just a body. We're not just a soul. And so the impact of our giving now and the impact of their giving then can be twofold. The church can minister to the body and meet the physical needs and also to the soul, the spiritual needs. And so this is happening in that, you know, verse, uh, verse 12. It says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, physical needs, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So, you know, churches are unique in that we, you, okay, can minister to both the body and the soul. Uh, All throughout Christian history, uh, churches have done both. Uh, They have built hospitals and schools and orphanages. But also, at the same time, they minister to the soul and the spirit. You're like, well, how how would they do that? Obviously, salvation and finding Christ. But the thing is, if a person doesn't know, you know, really why they exist, why they're here, their place in the universe... Uh, what uh, God has for their life, if, if they don't know that, then, then the physical needs, I mean, they're being fed, but it's the spiritual needs. It's one of the reasons that I'm so passionate, frankly, about uh, planting churches. Uh, I love ministering to uh, physical needs, building homes, uh, helping aftercare uh, shelters for women rescued from trafficking, you know, feeding the poor. But the church is unique, more so than schools, hospitals, in that it ministers to both the body and the soul. And the best thing that could happen to this city, you know, we just sang about, would be more and more churches throughout the city. I know we think, you know, church on every corner. But churches that minister, again, to the body and to the soul. Best thing that would happen to this world, I believe, I know, and it's biblical, is more and more churches throughout the world that minister both to the body and, and to the soul. So, Paul here is calling on them. So, the impact of generosity, and it says generosity if you, if you read through it over and over again, verse six uh, generously, uh, thankful for your generosity. It's all about being a generous giver. And the impact, again, it's twofold to the body and to the soul. You know, one example uh, about this, talking about ministering, is in Latin America. Uh, we were at a, a conference this week for Acts 29, and uh, Hunter and I, our student pastor, uh, got to meet with the Acts 29 director of Latin America. And he was telling us about the work God's doing, and some of you have seen if you've been to Honduras, through the church in Latin America, uh, I think, um, you know, I was reading up on it after meeting with him, but like, there's like crazy numbers in Brazil. Like 500,000 people uh, of poor flocking to Protestant Uh, churches. Uh, Guatemala, where this guy uh, was from, like 40% of Guatemala right now uh, is um, Protestant uh, believing uh, Christians. And so, you know, how is that happening? Why is that happening? Well, these are poor people. I mean, much poorer than than we are. And yet they're flocking to these uh, conservative, evangelical, orthodox churches. And a lot, of, a lot of stuff's been written about the church and, and growth in Latin America. But the reason behind it is, is the church is ministering to their soul. They have physical needs, but there's this poverty of the soul that they meet first. And it gives them strength for the present, hope for the future, which it should for you as well, for you and me. And when they, they get that, that spiritual need fulfilled, and families come together, and, and literally their, their economics uh, change. And so you see this happening throughout, and, and that's just one area, but you could probably say the same for Africa and parts of Asia as well. So, you know, what happens? What, ha- what happens to these people? How do, we, how, do we, how do we come to be fed physically, spiritually? You know, Paul, again, going back to this passage, he was writing the church in Corinth. It was in the Roman Empire, and at this time, the Roman Empire was beginning to be overwhelmed by Christianity and churches. So what happened? How did, how did that occur? I want to read you a quote. I've read this before, I think, but it's, a, uh, it's about 20 years after John the disciple uh, died. So John in Revelation, about 20 years after that. So it was the early church, and the church was growing. And there was this letter to a guy named uh, Diognetus, okay? And the letter was trying to explain Christianity's growth, uh, the growth of the church, and why this was happening throughout the Roman Empire. Uh, It's very, very interesting. It's really fascinating. Uh, Listen to it. So again, 20 years after John the disciple, letter to Diognetus describing Christians. It says, Christians busy themselves on earth, yet their citizenship is in heaven. They live in their own native land, yet they live as aliens. They are both foreign and native at the same time. They marry and have children, but they do not kill unwanted babies. They share their table with all, yet they share their bed with no one. They love everyone, but they are persecuted by all. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They are short of everything, yet they have plenty of everything. They do good and are attacked. They are attacked, and then they rejoice as if they had been given new life. This is the only part of that letter. Uh, you could Google it, you could read it all. But again, explaining who Christians were, why there was this, frankly, a beauty about their lives. And so the reason, you know, all of the Roman Empire literally became overwhelmed by Christianity in the church is because no one, no other citizen could match the authentic beauty of a Christian's life. It's really marked by four things here, at least in this passage. Uh, One, it doesn't say it explicitly, but no racism. Where does it say that? Well, it says they live in their own native land, yet they live as aliens. They are both foreign and native at the same time. You know, Christians were Jews, Romans, Greeks, Africans... But they were Christians first. And so the Christianity that they had really cut racism at its root. So there was no racism. There was a high view of life for all of life. Uh, it says they marry and have children, but they do not kill unwanted babies. Uh, at that time, often if you, uh, if you had a girl, uh, they would throw baby girls in, in the river in the Roman Empire. Uh, owners had Total authority to kill their slaves. But yet Christianity had this high view of life. They marry, they have children, but they do not kill unwanted babies. Uh, They had, and and we've talked about this over the last couple weeks, uh, they had a different sexual ethic, their sex ethic. Uh, It says it. They share their table with all. They share their bed uh, with no one. You know, today's message isn't about sex, but the Christian ethic of sex Uh, it's designed by God, given as a gift, to say, you know, I am permanently committed to you and you only. And, you know, what was interesting is that people were coming to Christ and becoming Christians through the Roman Empire, okay, and they were leaving a pagan lifestyle. So pagan would be like sex is an appetite. If you're hungry, feed it, sleep with whomever you want. We've talked about this in, in previous weeks. But they came to the Christian sex ethic, and many of them were like, man, this is, this is it. This is freedom. And what's ironic is many of us are raised in the Christian sex ethic, okay? But yet the culture says that the pagan sex ethic is where we find the freedom and who we are. And some of us have lived in that and probably haven't felt very free or fulfilled. But then last, these people were radically generous. Radical generosity. They are short of everything, yet they have plenty of everything. They are poor, yet they make many rich. How did the church grow? How did the Roman Empire become overwhelmed by Christianity, by Christian churches? Because nobody, nobody could match the beauty of their life. Again, no racism Radical generosity, a different sex ethic, high view of life. The impact of our giving, and again, you can't grow unless you give. The impact of our giving is that it ministers to people physical needs and their spiritual needs. And before moving on to, to the why, I would just ask you, I, I mean, I'd ask you to reflect. Uh, do, do people say that of you, of us, what I just read about? If you call yourself a Christian, if we call ourselves a Christian, I mean, does our, does our life represent that? Do they say that of us as a church? I'd love for, I've been reflecting on it over the last couple days. I'd love for you to reflect on it too. If we say we know Christ, follow him. What do people say of you? What do people say of us? Radical generosity, radical giving. It's the only way to growth. Personal and as a church. Why is it? What's our, our motivation the motivation behind the giving. Why do we, why do we give? Why, why should we give? Uh, it's in, again, verse 13. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your, here it is, your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ. That's it. Uh, why we give? Not because some preacher or pastor asks you. Uh, not because, you know, you feel duty-bound to do it. No. That's not the true motivation. Motivation is your obedience to the gospel of Christ. What is the gospel? The gospel should be our motor behind everything if we call ourselves Christians. Motivation is a motor that drives us the gospel of Christ. So what's the gospel? Let's break it down. Christians, really, in giving, if we are to be radically generous, there should be two primary motivations. I would call them creation and redemption. and They're parts of the gospel. Uh, Creation first in that we can give generously. We can give radically because we know everything is from God. Everything we have is a gift. Uh, This passage highlights this. Verse 10, it says, Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food, God provides, will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. We can give. We should give because we know all that we have is from God, and he can keep providing, and he can provide more and more. That's biblical, that's that's part of the gospel. I mean, you're like, well, what's God given me? Well, one, he's given us the air we breathe first. Uh, He's given you, he's given us our minds uh, to think through things. Uh, He's given us our connections, our relationships. You know, our culture would say, hey, you've done it, or you deserve it, and you earn, you've earned it, the Bible says something different. Everything we have is a gift from God. God would say, you can give, you can give generously, you can give radically, because all you have is from me. And he will continue giving. I don't know if you think that or believe that, but that's, that's biblical. That's, as Christians, that's how we should operate. He is the giver of all good gifts. You're like, I don't know about that. We, You know, I mean, the only reason for me or for you that we weren't born like 1,200 years ago in Tibet or somewhere is God's grace. We're here. We have much. Again, air, minds, connections. God opened so many doors. He's opened so many doors for you. You probably don't even realize it. Now, the reason we struggle with that is because of sin in our heart. And you're like, I mean, if you don't struggle with it, I think you're maybe not being as honest. I uh, Think about this with a child, you know, I'm a parent and, you know, if I, uh, Jack's, he's not sitting here, I'm, I'm glad, uh, I'm not, not trying to embarrass him, but, you know, he loves video games like a lot of kids and we try to limit time on video games and phones, and stuff like that, but, you know, you can buy a game on the phone, well, if I buy it for him, and sometimes I like to engage him and, you know, hang out with him, so I'll buy it for him and then I'll be like, hey, Jack, man, can I just like play for five minutes? And like, no, it's mine, you know? I'm like, dude, I bought it for you. Can I just like, I don't know, two minutes, just hang, no, no, it's mine, Dad. Think about this. Let's say somebody offered you, said, hey, I'll buy you a $500,000 house, a nice house, it's yours, it's a gift. Just, if you would, let me have one room in it so I could live there in that room. Uh, Most of us, I know I would, I'd be like, Man, no thanks. You know, it's my house. I want it. I want all the rooms. God says in the Bible, says, "Man, I've given you all this. Hey, can you give me ten percent? Ten percent? I've given it all." We're like, I don't know about that, man. That's a struggle. God's kind of like, "You kidding me? You kidding me? I've given you everything. I just want a little bit. You know? No, it's mine." Christians should know that that, that there, that is, that is sin. That shows our need for a savior, a need for redemption. Uh, the, the basic root sin is saying, hey, it's mine. I want it. You know? Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden, yeah, that tree's mine too. That tree's mine too. Keeps going. So creation would be one motivation that God has given you so much, whether you realize it or not, but the other motivation would be redemption, that Christ is not just our helper, but he is our our savior, the obedience of the gospel, the gospel of Christ. Um, What is redemption? Redemption is knowing Christ, not just as our helper, but our savior, that he saved us. You know, Martin Luther I don't know if you know who he is, but he, uh, a quote that, I mean, it really speaks to the gospel. He said, every morning a Christian should wake up. He should say a couple things. Uh, God, you are my joy, and I am your punishment. We ever think of ourselves like that, that that we are God's punishment? Like, what do you mean by that? Well, Jesus was was punished for us. Martin Luther said we should wake up every day and say, I am rich, because you are. If you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, you're rich beyond really our wildest imaginations. Uh, another uh, famous preacher, you, you may or may not know him, Charles Spurgeon, he said it like this, he's like, you know, imagine if you were dying and you knew it, and you knew you only had so much time to live. And then there was a cure, and you could get it. However, the cure was like very, very expensive, so you might have to sell your house or sell belongings or sell whatever it is in this world is, is precious to you. But you would get the cure and you would live. If we knew that, I mean, if, if I knew it, I mean, the things that I, I own, my possessions, would, they'd be expendable. If I could have that cure and live longer to be a dad and a husband and, and a pastor even, I'd take it. I want to live. That's the gospel of Christ, uh, the cure. Because without we are dying. Without it, you are dying. And far worse than physically, spiritually. So our redemption should be our motivation. Our redemption should compel us to radical generosity. You know, the Bible really offers a, a pragmatic way to see if you're a real Christian or if your relationship with God is really based on kind of a moralistic or legalistic uh, framework. What do you mean moralistic, legalistic? Well, is your relationship with God, is it more out of duty and obligation? And like God, if you you do good, then God owes you? Or is is it a relationship of love? It offers a pragmatic way to see which one of those you are. Like, how is it? Do you find radical generosity... Uh, do you find it uh, just ridiculous? Do you find it crazy? Do you find, you know, if God says 10%, and really, we'll say this in a minute, but 10% is, is really in the New Testament, the minimum. Do you find that ridiculous? Uh, if, if you do, and I would say this, I mean, then I would say you really are operating with God on, on like a moralistic, legalistic mentality rather than in a love relationship. I mean, a true love relationship, and I hope some of you who are married uh, have this, um, you know, you'd say, man, all I have is yours. All I have is yours. Everything. That's a, that's a true love relationship. Actually, and you know, we've talked about this in marriage uh, talks, but the, the whole prenuptial, I um, hope you all don't have prenuptial, but you might, you know, but it actually goes very much against uh, the Christian view of marriage and love. So if you got one, I don't know, burn it or something, whatever. Would be my advice. You're like, what? That's, not, that's, not, that's crazy. How's your relationship with the Lord? Bible offers a very pragmatic way to see if you're really a moralistic, legalistic, or have a real relationship uh, with the Lord. Do you, again, do you find radical generosity crazy? Or are you saying, like, you know, how much can I give? You know, I can start here, but I can grow. Uh, in my giving and you may be like you know I I really don't know where I stand with God I think man then I think it's great that you're here Uh, and and you may have come today out of some duty out of obligation you know you know I'm not really sure where I stand man that that really makes my heart rejoice it really does and I I believe that that happens every Sunday that there are people who come to these doors and the doors of every church and don't totally know where they stand with God then Jesus you should know this Jesus wants you here I want you right here. I'm so glad you're here. But giving really shows, you know, whether we have a real relationship with Jesus, a love relationship with Jesus, or a relationship that's based on duty. Well, I got to give. Or, "Ah, I really don't want to give. Or, I can't give that much. Come on, man. Which one are you? It's tough. It's tough. I know. It convicts me. But, it is there in Scripture, and it is, uh, again, it shows our relationship. Last thing, the motivation uh, being our creation, our redemption. But then last is the measure of our giving. And that's maybe you could say the most practical. How much? How much? You talk about radical generosity. You talk about all that. Like, how much are you saying, Pastor? How much are you saying? Well, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, it does say tithe, and tithe literally means 10%. The interesting thing, though, is in the New Testament, the word tithe, um, it is, it's not there. It doesn't mention tithe at all. So some of us can be like, man, good, <laughs> good. Whew. You know? But actually, the answer is really, again, in verse 13, the gospel of Christ. Your obedient confession according to the gospel and for your generosity and sharing with them and uh, with everyone. The gospel is, he gave it all. He gave his life. So, New Testament Christianity, generosity would be the 10% as a starting point. And, you know, when you're saved by grace, you know, you would say, man, it's all yours. It's all yours. Um, you know, let me say this too, though. Because some folks are like, are you saying, start 10%? Man, I can't. I just can't. Man, I understand that. That's a totally different ball game. That's totally different than saying, now it's just unreasonable to start at 10%. It's unreasonable to even give 10%. I just think that's, that's a different place than saying, like, I get you, but, you know, I'm kind of boxed in. I'm strapped. Uh, I totally understand that. You know, God's convicted me on my giving. He's convicted me in this season at our church, but I don't know how I'm going to get there. That's good. But we can all take a step. Uh, I, I know a brother who, uh, in the last couple weeks, and, you know, we've talked some about giving, and he said, uh, he said, man, I, you know, I don't know how we're going to do it, and I've racked my, my brain over and over again, but we're going to start, and we're going to take a step uh, to moving to a point of giving. Uh, that's different than saying, man, that's just... You know, I can't do 10% or or 10% is crazy. You know, two different, different places. We can get there, though. Think about this. Talk about 10%. And again, the measure of our giving, Old Testament says the tithe, 10%. New Testament doesn't. But really the model is that that's the starting point. You're like, I don't know how I'm going to get there. Well, think about this. Uh, If you or I, if if our uh, salary, wages, whatever, if it was cut 10%, what would you do? You'd make do. We'd make do. Now, uh, we'd be grumpy, unhappy, all that, but we'd make do. So, as a challenge for all of us, make do now. But instead of being, like, grumpy and, and unhappy, you know, I mean, Talks about being a cheerful giver. Give with joy. I mean, you're giving, our giving, uh, you know, we never knew we would be a philanthropist. Never knew that uh, our giving can impact uh, bodies, physical needs, and souls, spiritual needs. Uh, Our giving together, and if you think I'm crazy, then, you know, I would just push back. I mean, our, our giving from this church, but every church, I mean, it can change the world. It does change the world. It has changed the world over years and generations. And so, you know, make do. You know, take a step. Make a start. Get a plan together. Uh, And you can do so. I mean, I hope, you know, and if if you go back the motivation, like, well, I've got to, or man, you know, you're just talking about, that's, and be very clear, I mean, that's a legalistic way of looking at Christianity. It's a moralistic way of looking at Christianity. Uh, The motivation should be at a place of the gospel that God has given you everything. Everything. And yes, if you accept Christ, if you receive him in your heart, he's giving you more than, than you have ever dreamed or imagined. I mean, you're, if you've accepted Christ in your life, you're going to rule and reign forever. That's, in, that's biblical. That's in Scripture. He's giving you everything. And he asks us to be uh, generous. And the measure, uh, really, of our Christian life, how people see it, is how generous we are, how generous we are as a church. Last thing I would say is Malachi 3, uh, I'm not going to read it uh, verse by verse, but I'd encourage you to um, maybe read it at some point. Malachi 3 uh, writes, and it's Old Testament, bring the whole tithe uh, into the storehouse. It says, dare me, test me, and I will pour out blessings on your heart. I believe every word of the Bible, and I believe it's true. So I'm coming from a point that, that I believe that's true. God says, dare me, test me. Bring your giving to me, and I will pour out blessings in your heart and your life. Now, you might say, well, what are those blessings? Is he going to give me more money? I mean, look, he might. He might not. One of the biggest blessings that he might give you is to not worry about money as much. Seriously. I mean, so many of our cares and concerns and worries surround money. What if you dared the Lord? What if you said, okay, I'll, I'll test you, and you saw that he provided, and your worries ceased, about money or your financial capacity or how you would make ends meet. God, what a blessing that would be. God says, dare me, test me. Bring it to me. Here's the last thing I'll say. So many of us, look, I include myself in this. It's tough. We operate uh, in giving of our Christian life really with a clenched fist. We're like, I'll give a little. It's a closed fist, a clenched fist. God is saying, Malachi 3, see in uh, 2 Corinthians 9, Open your hands. Be generous. If you want to grow, give. Give of yourself, your time, yes, your talents and your treasure, and see what I'll do in your life. The biggest blessing that he may give is that your worries may may cease because you see he provides. You may see his peace uh, in your life. But he can't do it with a closed fist, a clenched fist. Open it up. And, you know, the main reason we can do that is because Jesus' hands were wide open to the Lord. They were wide open on the cross, and that was for you personally. If you know nothing else going out of here, if you you hear nothing else, and, you know, you can say it was about money, hear this, I mean, that was for you. And that redemption is offered for anyone at any time. And when you do receive him, and, you know, sometimes we gotta get past the, Cliches and the Sunday school language, but it's salvation forever and ever. You rule, you will rule and reign with Christ forever and ever. And God's saying, "Man, just give to me. Be open-handed with others, with church. And not, I'm just—I'm not even saying this for Bellwether Church, but with for the world. Give to neighbors. Give to nations. Because He's given so much to us. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. This is. It is always a challenging topic, talking about giving. And yet, your word shows us, uh, it shows us that uh, uh, without giving, there'll be no growth. Not literally, practically, but spiritually as well. I pray this community would be open-handed. And I'm not talking about just giving in the plate. You know, I'm thankful for that. But really, just to our neighbors, uh, to this city, to the world, to those in need, that we just have great faith you would provide over and over again. Uh, Lord, it, you have convicted me and challenged me uh, over years of my life, and I have seen uh, as a witness that when we've lived with an open hand and, and been generous, I mean, you have provided um, in, in more ways than than we can imagine. I, I pray that this church, I pray that these people would would see that in their life. I pray we as Christians, if we call ourselves by, by you, that's, People would see the mark of our faith, which is radical generosity. They'd see the mark of our faith that we'd be very open-handed, willing to give, eager to give. I pray that for us, and I do pray that everybody here would see the fruit, the blessings of that in their life. I thank you for the people who say, hey, I can't get there now, but I'm willing to take a step. That's a posture, that's an attitude that I think is very pleasing to you and I pray, no matter where someone is, they would say, hey, I want, I want to move towards radical generosity, and I'm really going to think about it and apply that and move it into my Christian life. I pray that for each of us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can, because you've given so much to us. We celebrate that now and come into your table. In Jesus' name, Amen.